Uh, we're continuing on in the book of 1 Peter, as we have been for a few weeks now. Uh, 1 Peter, and we're in chapter number 4 tonight. Chapter 4. <clears throat> if you recall, Peter is writing this book to a bunch of scattered people all around in Asia Minor and up through Asia. They all originally were centered out of Jerusalem and throughout um, the, the land of Israel. And the Roman government had taken over at this time. Okay, And as happened with the Romans over time, they really began to persecute people that believed in Christ. And essentially, as soon as Christ died, they really intensified. The, over the next 30, 40, 50, even 100 years, they intensified um, persecuting the Christians. And what happened for all of those people that were in the area of Jerusalem, they ended up all dispersing up into Asia Minor and up through into, into Asia, all the way up close to Greece, uh, the shoreline uh, on the other side of, of Greece, not in Greece. Um, but they were dispersed, and they, it was what was called, a big movement called the Diaspora. And the Diaspora uh, was, uh, means dispersed, right? They, we, they kicked them out, and they just fled everywhere. So Peter is writing this book, uh, the book of 1 Peter here, he's writing it as a letter out to these people in all of these regions that ran away. Some he might know, some he doesn't know necessarily. But here's what's interesting to pay attention to. In the whole scheme of the world at this time, I told you the Roman government had taken over. God had perfectly laid out what seemed to be big powers moving in, like the Romans, okay? Moved them in, took over Israel, took over the entire known world at the time, and the Romans were proud of it. They called it our little sea, the Mediterranean Sea, they called it our little sea, or Mare Nostrum, okay? And that just meant we took it all, we own it, everything around it. We're in charge and you can't tell us what to do. But really, God had a plan. And that's what God was doing, was working in this plan through the Roman government. And of course, when the Romans came in, they built this entire kingdom, and they did a network of roads all through here. They had the areas occupied by soldiers, and so what they brought was peace, by the end of a sword at least, but they brought peace and they brought a way for things to get transported all around the kingdom. Now think about this, right in the center of that is where God says, that's where I'm going to put my son. That's where he's going to be born, right in the middle of an occupied Roman kingdom. And I'm going to use what Rome put out there. The roads and the peace and the ways to travel, where all roads lead to Rome. They created a whole network of roads. The Romans built them all. And God says, I'm going to put my gospel, the story of my son, out on those roads. I'm going to use what seems to be just a big, powerful government taking over. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to take my son's story to the world. And so he did. And that's what's the incredible piece of it is this, this diaspora, the disbursement of all the people that Peter's writing to, is a part of that. They all were born right there in Israel. They were grown up as uh, Israelites, and they know about God. They also have seen Christ, and they've seen what happens with him. They see him die, or some of them do. And they know the story. And then they get flushed out across the world. Which looks like it's a terrible thing. And it was no doubt 
tough for them. And Peter will talk about that tonight. But understand this. God had a plan for these people, for the government, for the roads, for everything. God used that plan the entire time. He used everything that seemed like it was just the Romans doing what they do. And yet it was God doing what he does. All right? So there are no mistakes. And that's one thing we're going to have to learn tonight. No mistakes. God. God had it all in his plan. So Peter writes to these people that are spread all around. And he's trying to encourage them. Because they're having a tough time. They are persecuted. They're alone. They seem like no matter everybody's out to get them. Okay, And they're living in places where all the people around them do not believe what they believe. Okay, They're in strange places. Places where they've gone out and, and everybody says, Who's this God you're talking about? Well, I can tell you about him. He's the reason my belief in him is why I was kicked out of Jerusalem. I was kicked out of Israel. I left because it got so hard. And the Romans did terrible things. We'll get to that in a little bit. All of what seems random, okay, that's what's to remember. All of what seems random is not random. God has done it with no mistakes. Okay? So, 1 Peter chapter number 4, as we pick up in the first verse... For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So here's what I like about Peter. Peter is great because I can identify with Peter. Peter is just a normal guy. And he's normal because he messes up. Again and again. And his story, half of the story written about him is all the things he said wrong in the Bible. It's all the impetuous things he went out and did. All the stupid things he said. And I'm really glad that I didn't get Peter's place in the Bible. Right? Because it was all the stupid things I said all written down. And here's the things that Jesus said back to me after I said something dumb. Okay? And that's Peter's story. But I can relate with that. He's just a guy. When he starts out, he's a fisherman. And he's a rough and tough fisherman. And he makes a lot of mistakes. And he assumes that he knows how it all works. He's figured life out. And he knows how to be a good fisherman. He knows how to provide for his family. He knows how to do all that. And, he, and he's figured it out. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he figures out that he doesn't know anything. And it takes him a whole lot of hard knocks to get there. And that's why I like Peter, because I, I can identify with that. You know, He's just a plain old guy. And here's what he has gotten. By being genuine, his words come out without harshness. They come out tempered. And that's what happens to real people who live with God... For a long time, they understand that they're not perfect. And so when they say things, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, and I've made this mistake too many times. And I've messed up this way. And I've done this wrong. And so I don't say this in condemnation. I just say this to hope it helps you. To help guide you. And that's what Peter does. That's why he's great. So when he starts out, he says, look, I want you to see something. This is what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that you should arm yourself with a weapon. Your mind, you should arm yourself with your mind. And you're arming yourself with this. The mind of Christ preparing for suffering. Now, 
This is not the most popular chapter in the Bible, okay, to talk about suffering. No one wants to hear about suffering. Everybody wants to talk about how good it is to be with God and how lovely it is and kind. And let's talk about forgiveness and let's talk about a lot of the things. But Peter says, here's what you need to know is you need to arm yourself in preparation for suffering in this life. If you're going to follow God for any length of time, you are going to have to live through suffering. Be ready for it. And here's where he says, be ready for it. Arm yourself because suffering will come and you need to be like-minded as Christ was in his suffering. Okay? Like-minded... In his suffering. And why are you going to be like-minded in suffering? Well, here's something we need to see. He says, I've been thinking about Jesus. Now, Peter was with Jesus, right? And I told you, he made a lot of mistakes. So let's go back in the book of Matthew. We're going to see one of the mistakes he made. And see what Christ's response to was. The book of Matthew, verse number 6, chapter 16, verse... Number 21. Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 21. This is a conversation. Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he sees... uh, he sees them kind of speaking about him, and he is, starts to tell them something different. Peter's now had this great revelation that you are the Son of God. And, and Jesus says, now, God himself showed you that, that I am the Son of God. That's a great thing to know. And then, just like Peter, give him three minutes, and he's messing it up again. He doesn't understand. That's what I said is great about Peter because he is just out there saying what he thinks. And here's what Jesus says. So verse 21, chapter 16 of Matthew. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And be raised again the third day. Here's Peter's response. Then Peter took him, so took him aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Let me show you something, Jesus. This isn't going to happen to you. I mean, you're talking about going off. We're going to protect you. We're going to take care of you. I mean, you're working with the big boys now here, Jesus. You're good. Yeah, we got you. And you would think Jesus' response would be something like, no, no, Peter, you don't understand. What, Peter, I just, I want you to see something. But instead, Jesus says something shocking. Verse number 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. And Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what if a man, what is a man profited if he has gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Get behind me, Satan. Peter was flying high. You know, look at me. I, I just told you that you were the son of God. Satan, or spirit of God's working through me. But let me fix your thought here, Jesus. You're not going to go and suffer. It's not. That's not how God works. Jesus says, you don't understand anything. You are thinking and acting like Satan. 
Ooh, down went his balloon. All in one second, right? All of a sudden, he said something stupid. And I've been there myself. So he says, you don't understand. You do not savor the things of God, he said. You do not like the things of God. You don't like the way that God works. You don't understand what he's doing. And that's a hard thing for Christians, all of us. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody says, hey, I really want to do some suffering today. I want to really get hit hard. Okay? People, we don't think that way. But when people undergo suffering, they understand a depth beyond what a surface Christian understands. Somebody who lives on the surface. Okay? Jesus says, this is my goal. I am here to suffer. That's why you don't understand it, Peter. I'm here to suffer. My goal is here to be here to suffer and die. I am going to suffer at the hand of all these sinful men. And I will die and I will be raised again. But I have a purpose here, Peter. And that is what Peter, over his lifetime, as he's think, thinking back about what Jesus says about suffering, he begins to understand needless suffering is not necessarily something good, of value, but suffering with a purpose. Jesus came to die and suffer with the purpose of redeeming all mankind. He says, if I could get one little ounce of purpose out of what I suffer in this life, he says, it would make me happy. Understand, it's going to happen. He says, it's going to happen. You're going to suffer. And he says, the best thing about it, though, is when you have been struggling with sin, when you have been struggling uh, with sin, and all of a sudden you undergo some sort of suffering... He says, the sin just seems to drop away in your life. And it's not like you can, it's not like you're going out there and I'm going to defeat this sin and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this. God, during suffering, takes something that doesn't seem to be connected at all to that sin and he uses those circumstances to change how you think. He takes your priorities and turns them upside down on their head. And he says, you won't even think about this anymore. Your focus is going to be totally different. Your focus is going to be totally different. God's going to deal with the sin, not you. You can try and try and try and try to get rid of your own sin. It'll never happen. The things you struggle with, the things you go back to, the things you failed at your whole life. And God says, I can use this as a tool and change who you are. Peter says, and that is an amazing thin thing that God just takes that sin and takes it away. He takes the power of it away in your life. Verse number two. Uh, this is First Peter chapter four, verse two. Back to First Peter. All right. So if I pick up, for he hath uh, he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That was verse one, verse two. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Okay. So your purpose changes, and you start to see something behind why you're living. Why am I living? You ask that question. You begin to look at those things and you ask those questions and say, is there a purpose behind me being here on this earth? Do I have something God wants me to do? When our oldest daughter, we first saw her one day, 
uh, noticed it one day we were in the kitchen and she locked up and had a seizure in front of us and it's one of those things that as you watch you feel totally helpless you don't know what to do I remember first taking her to a doctor and the doctors didn't really know what to do either even the people we finally get to a specialist and after all this time you find out even they don't really know what to do they kind of can categorize it and they might put some medicine to it but they don't know why so when you I remember the feeling of looking at her and saying well there is nothing I can do and there's nothing anybody else here can do there's only one that can help the only one that can help is God I am completely out of this I don't have any way to fix this and there are things like that that start to turn your thought say don't think about the world in the way you've always thought of it think about it twist it around and look at things in a new perspective look at things from a different perspective and start to look at life in the way that God has is there a purpose in this God has something for us a purpose in this verse number three For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness and lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and the abominable idolatries. What that is, what that says in Old English, basically he says, isn't it enough the time we've already spent in our life? Have we all, haven't we already wasted enough time? We've already wasted enough of our time and our effort and our energy on sin we've already spent enough time so how can we approach life differently and here's the way that god works is through suffering he works through suffering he uses the hardships in our life to mold us to peel out some of those really difficult, stubborn spots in us. And he says, I need you to be flexible and pliable. And that's where Peter learned. Peter learned when Jesus turned around and said, Get behind me, Satan. You don't desire the things of God. Get out of here. It's a hard lesson to learn, difficult lesson to learn. He says, haven't we already wasted enough time in this life? Verse number four. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Okay, those people, and this is back to the to the people that were spread around in the dispersion there there they went out and they live in these places now all of these cities and these cities don't know much about god and these cities are filled with people who think you're a weirdo if you believe in that jesus guy so if you're out there and they think you're strange, he says, they're going to look at you and say, why don't you do what we do? We know how to live life. And he said, they don't understand, but they will persecute you for it. They will say bad things about it, about you. He said, but just stay the course. We feel that way in life a lot of times. Sometimes there's not a single other person where we work, where we live, where we go on our side. Sometimes we're very much alone out there in this world. And we're the weird one. We're the strange one. Doing what some weird thing that, that God says don't do that. And 
They're like, I don't understand why you just wouldn't do what we do. This is how you get ahead in life. We're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to give up my life for that. He said, it seems like you're down. But verse number five, those people who speak evil of you shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Everybody who speaks ill of a Christian, of a follower of God, will someday give account. Now that's a sobering thing. All right, They will give account. In other words, they are going to have to explain to God in front of the judge why they said what they said. I don't want to be in that situation. That's a, that's a bad day to have when you're in that situation. Okay? Know that God will set things right. Live your life. Do the things that he's called you to do, even if you're alone, wherever you are. If you're alone, still do those things that he's called you to do. Let God take care of those people. They will give account for every word that they say. And don't think of it as, well, I got my revenge. Boy, it'll be a scary day for those people that have to stand and give account. And if we've said things in the past, God forgives anything. Just bring it to him. Ask him. That's what he wants. He wants to change people, all right? God is so interested in making sure everybody's had a fair shot. Here's what he's done in verse number six. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit, all right? So there are two possible explanations for this verse. Um, There is a There is another reference in the Bible where Jesus goes after he is resurrected from the dead. He goes into Hades, okay, and preaches to a group of people there. Well, that's not, (laughs) we don't understand a lot about that, okay? That's one thing. We don't understand a lot about that, what exactly happened there. But what it explains here in this verse is God wants people to understand what the Spirit of God wants. He wants you to see what we all have the privilege of seeing. That Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and the Spirit of God lives within people who will have him. The story of the gospel. He wants them to understand that. Okay? And so he reaches out to those people, even those people who have seen they've lived their life. Jesus has a special purpose. Now, again, we don't know all the things that were said, anything that was said, really, there. But we do know that God had a purpose behind doing it. Okay? Because he wants everyone to have a fair trial. Everybody, even those people who outright rejected him, okay? All those people, they will understand what God is doing. God is doing something big, okay? He's doing something big. Whether or not it is those people that you live around and that might say something about you as a Christian, or whether it is a that those group of people who have outright rejected God, God will have the right words to say to them. He understands everybody and where they came from, what they thought, all of the things that made their life up. And God will be very, very fair. He will do right. Genesis, it says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. He will make it right. 
okay? He is in control and he will make it right. All for a purpose. And now Peter's words switch a little bit. He starts to think, so you got this idea of suffering. And now he brings up something new, verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Okay, so we're there, he said. We are in the end times. The end times is here. He's holding up a sign. Here it is. So what are we supposed to do with it? That's what matters. People might be feeling that right now. Okay, are we there? Is this it? Is this the end? We don't know. We don't know when the day or the hour come. Nobody, nobody knows it. Okay? But we do know what we're supposed to do while we wait. And that's what Peter says to us. He says, the end is coming. It's right here. It's at hand. Therefore, be sober and watch unto prayer. All right? So we have a few things on this list. One thing is be sober or be aware. Okay? Be aware. And watch unto prayer. Or in other words, this should make you want to pray more to God. That should be the response. When you understand that God is coming and the end is near and things are happening all in God's perfect tapestry to go together into the right moment, then you should say, God, please use me. Please, my little tiny insignificant life, fit it in here. Save me, help me, be with me, be with my family, be with my friends, be with those around me. Help me to pray. Help me to be useful in some way. All right? So pray. And that is what is very useful to the people of God, is praying. Okay? Verse number 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Charity. Fervent charity, okay? That is intense love. To who? Amongst ourselves. Amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing when the end time gets near. The more we get intense towards the end, the more the feeling should be, you need to hang together. You need to hang tight and close and love that person next to you. And guess what? They're going to say something stupid because they're people, right? <laughs> and you are going to cover that up with the love that you have for them. It's going to cover over like a big ocean wave your love's going to cover over the things they do. And it says not just one or two sins they did wrong and then you're going to go after them. A multitude of sins. Big waves of sin. And that's, guess what? They keep coming and they keep doing stupid things. And they keep doing the wrong thing. And they keep messing up. And you're going to keep loving them. Because that's what they need. Just like they need forgiveness. Just like you need forgiveness. That is the one thing that always runs in my mind God says whatever however you measure out forgiveness to other people is how God measures out forgiveness to you that is a tough verse for me that's one of those ones to say man I don't want to judge anybody because I need all the forgiveness I can get so I don't want to say nothing to nobody not judging anybody. I'm going to forgive them, even if I don't want to, because I want God to forgive me, even if he doesn't want to forgive me, okay? I want to be forgiven. So I'm going to measure it out as much as I can. All right? And that's what he says. That's what you're going to need. You are going to need these things 
be watchful, be, be full of prayer, and have intense love. And then he's got another one. And this is your end time list. This is what you're going to do. What are we on? Verse number 9. Use, the hospital, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Hospitality. Now that is a great thing. You know you're in a list, in, in a good place, okay? Write down that forgiveness, okay, because that's important. You're in a good place when people are hospitable. They're kind to you. They're friendly to you. Now I just got done, got my papers that I'm free to walk, okay, from my uh, quarantine. But I will say this. Okay, let me say this. Regardless of what they all do, that didn't matter to me. But to watch what you all did, dropping off food and, and, the, and phone calls and texts to me, food for my family and different things like little bags of goodies for the kids, all kinds of things that you guys were thinking about us. That is the type of hospitality, caring for people, okay, that's important. And I think especially as time grows nearer the end, the tighter we become, the more we get through things together. It's the only way. Peter says this is happening. Getting to the end, it's going to happen, and this is what you need to do with it. Okay? You need to treat others with hospitality. And so you have, be aware, because it's coming, pray and be useful. Have an intense love and a forgiveness and a hospitality. And that's how you get ready for the end times. We're not gathering up a whole bunch of stuff. Okay? We're not going to a mountaintop where nobody is. We're doing these things. I might feel like I want to go to a mountaintop where nobody is, but that's not what Peter says. Peter says, the end's coming. Do these things. That's what we need together. Verse number 10 and 11, the next thing that he says, another important thing that, that you see in a body of believers, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. He says, here's where your gifts are important. And yes, there are gifts of teaching and preaching and things like that. But that's not the important gifts necessarily. The gifts that hang a church together are the gifts that people have of being able to encourage other people. Okay? That is one of the very important ones. Everybody needs encouragement. That is one of the gifts that glues people together. I've gotten letters written to me uh, from people who are in places where they can't necessarily get to church, but are watching, have been watching online for months or have been doing things. They send me a letter that says something that I need for encouragement. That's so important. Phone calls and texts and things that happen out there, all of those things that are happening, letters that people send that encourage one another, give them strength for the day, okay, or for the week or for the month or whatever, that is important. That is a valuable gift. And God looks down and says, that's what I put you there to do. So as those gifts get woven together and used in God's family, in the church, he says, I'm going to bless those things. Use those things to glorify God. That's a purpose, an intense purpose, a great purpose. 
Verse number 12. So he comes back to it. Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we're going to go through trials, but it's the whole reason I talked about the body of the church and what we're to do and the intense love that we're to have, forgiveness and hospitality and kindness and using your gifts. Because when you go through a trial, whether it be a personal trial or a trial as a church where we go through hard times, times where we can't get together as much, those things are even more important. You don't want to go through it alone. You want to be out there, and we connect any way that we can, whether it be in, via technology, out through a camera, through the Internet, over availability for just audio, going around the world. It doesn't really matter. We are here to continue to do what God's told us to do because there are people out there who are undergoing those fiery trials in their personal life. We have to be there for them and be consistent for them because we're going to have them too he says don't think it's strange you're a christian people are going to come after you and guess what the government will restrict you yes they will that's what he's saying because he's living it he's living in the middle of it it's not strange it's very much what's happened time and time and time again through history. It's not unusual. He says it's just what happens. So be there for each other and get connected with those people and help them. That's what he's doing, sending this letter. Verse number 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. All right? Trials bring joy. Trials bring joy. A depth of understanding, of purpose of the ability to understand that you have a purpose. Satisfaction through that. Trials bring those opportunities for joy. Why were Paul and Silas, when they were locked up in prison, singing? They're singing because they understood this concept. Hardship brings joy. Suffering with God brings, brings glory to God and brings an opportunity for joy. It's a depth of understanding. And it took Peter a long time to understand it. But Peter suffered greatly in his life. And Peter eventually was crucified at the end of his life. He suffered but he said, it's a joyful thing. If you understand what's really going on, it's joy. There's something bigger. No mistakes. God didn't make a mistake. He understood who you are, and he understood the purpose that he put you here for, and he has given you opportunities. No mistake behind it. So where are you in your life? Struggles, trials, fiery trials they might be. Where do you stand? God says, it's not a mistake. I have you standing there for a reason. I am giving you the strength, and I'm surrounding you with your people. Even though you feel alone out there sometimes, I'm surrounding you with your people and helping you through these things. Verse number 15 
He says, but be careful. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody or in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. All right? Be careful not to just think your sufferings for your own problems, the things you did, I did something wrong and I'm suffering for it. That's not what God's talking about. That doesn't glorify God. Yeah, I went and robbed a bank and they've been after me ever since. Doesn't that glorify God? No, that doesn't glorify God. He says, be careful, don't think your own things, uh, your own sufferings are from your own makeup, he said. But if someone persecutes you because of what you stand for, what you believe, that you follow God's way. That you won't compromise on doing the wrong thing. If, someone su- if you suffer for that, he says, that gives God all the glory. Let God take the glory. He'll take care of the situation. And let him help you through it. Give you the depth. And the joy that God is doing those things through your life. Verse 17. For the time has come... That judgment must begin at the house of God, and it first begin, let it first begin at us. What shall the end be to them that obey not the gospel of God? Judgment, God says, first place is going to start is in the church. Now this isn't judgment end times where you're, you're already Christian, you believe. He's not coming in to judge you to say, well, no, you messed up and you're going to hell now. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about purifying his people. Purifying. Letting that sin drop away like we talked about. Suffering changes you. He says it purifies you through suffering and hardship and trials, fiery trials. It brings you something different. Every time I take a piece of metal and I stick it in the forge and I heat it up, I pull it out and it looks perfectly clean. I set it on the anvil and I begin to beat on it with a hammer and there are pieces of impurities that come out of it every time I do it. Put the same piece back in, pull it back out after it's heated up and beat on it again, there's more impurities. Every time that fire hits that steel and you beat on it and shape it a little bit, the impurities come out. And that's the way God works in us. Oftentimes, it takes a little heating, a little bit of shaping in us, and, and he uses us in a better way. But he is creating a masterpiece, not us. He's creating something. God does that. So, you're going to have judgment, and, and he will have times of judgment, times of separation in the church. Okay, And I think, looking at the last year, things have changed in what we do, how we approach things. Okay, And he has said, this is going to be a time where you're going to stand for me or not. You've got to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to stick with this or not? Is it important to you or not? And that's where we got to say, yep, it's important enough to me. Whatever the cost, I'm going to follow God. That's where it begins in the church. Verse number 18, And if the righteous shall be scarcely saved... Where, uh, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Yep, the church is going to start and God's going to purify the church. But what a scary time for those people who don't believe in God. There's no hope in their life. And we have that answer. God has shown us that answer in our life. So let's be out there and let's give all that we can to those people around us to show hope. 
We're not afraid. No fear. We will stand up. We will do what it is that we're called to do. We'll be aware. We'll be useful. We'll pray for others. I have never had a time, even by a person who is not a Christian, where I've said, I'll pray for you. I've never had them say, don't pray for me. No matter whether they believe, never set foot in church in their whole life, if they've had a problem with a, a family member or something, and I've said, I'll pray for you, they always say, okay, that'd be good. But they never say, no, nope, don't pray for me. Okay? Because they, people understand there's something bigger. All right? Have that intense love. Have, have that hospitality. Even when we suffer... We do this together, we work together, we see this together, and then we live together and God blesses it. And the whole thing glorifies God. That's what's even great about it. Right? You bring me a package of brownies, and, <laughs> and you get the account in your bank account in heaven. Because you are doing it with hospitality and kindness and things like that. God is so generous. He's looking for that love behind everything. He wants to see that. He wants to see it. And he blesses it. And he says, give your life over to that creator. Make sure you're doing what we ought to do. He said, pay attention. We're going to go with trials. We're going to see them. You're already in the middle of them, he said. You're going to see tough times. But... No, here's the list to take care of it. This is what's coming. End times is coming, and this is how you battle it. Okay? This is what you do to battle it. Be aware. Pray. Intense love and forgiveness. Hospitality. Treat other people like that. Thank you very much. That's the fourth chapter of First Peter. And uh, next week, we'll continue on. Thank you.